welcome to the season premiere of the Oddball Show season six. I'm happy to have on the program today an extremely gifted writer who has been hailed a virtuoso, a force, and a fresh new face in fiction. Her work is satirical, dark, witty, macabre, and the prose pushes off the page in a beautiful symphony of sounds. I'm very happy to have this author on the program. We are going to dive into some of the short stories in her brand new book, The Trouble with Language from Transfer Books, a recent release and an incredible read, a very exclusive look into the mind behind The Trouble with Language. Rebecca Fischau is the winner of the Holland Prize for Fiction, and I'm happy to welcome her onto the show to talk about this incredible series of stories and get to know the author herself. Ladies and gentlemen, I am pleased to welcome Rebecca Fischau to The Oddball Show. Rebecca, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Very excited to be here. That was a gorgeous introduction. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. I, I'll, I'll credit the, the person who wrote it. Um, <laughs> that I wrote it. But anyway, um, let's get right into the book. Uh, the Trouble with Language. Okay. So the book is, uh, it's, a, it's, it's broken into three, three parts. Mm-hmm. And it's got about, uh, I'm just going to guess like 20 stories in it. So first of all, right there, print, great book. Beautiful packaging. I don't know if you can see this, but it's really beautifully packaged. It's a nice, uh, it's not leather bound, but it's a nice, um, it's a nice uh, hardcover book from uh, Transfer Books. And, and I think uh, seriously great job with this book. Um, so uh, shout out to Transfer Books, uh, quality, quality read. Um, now that's just the production of the book, but the book itself, Rebecca Fishow, you are the reason why this book is so good. So um, I will just uh, kind of talk a little bit about some of the stories. You can kind of tell me a little bit about what you were, what we were doing when you were writing them. Um, so let's, let's go with the first one. The first one starts off, it's a kind of a, a dark story. Um, none of this is your fault. Uh, so, so what what is the catalyst of this of this uh, this story? None of this is your fault. Um, so, I think the I'm remembering correctly the the kind of nucleus of this idea for this story was I was living in Montreal and I actually lived kind of right next to a French restaurant where one day when I was leaving my apartment there was a dog that was like clearly not doing so hot in on the the patio and 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 I remember being in that moment and not really knowing what to do because it um you know it's distressing when you see a little dog lying there not you know probably not gonna make it so I remember I think I actually did call my boyfriend at the time to like tell him what was going on um and I think that that little moment just stuck with me and kind of found its way into this story or started me off with this story. Um, and I kind of went from there and let it get a little weird as I am um, want to do in my writing. <laughs> um, so, Well, uh, you, you say weird, I say it's, it's freeing. I think it's free to be uh, completely honest and uh, just let your mind go in your writing. And I think you definitely do that in the second book, second um, the second book after that is actually probably the cover of this, of this. Yeah. I'm guessing Timothy's yeah. severed head. Yeah. The second story um, is what the cover art is based off of. Yeah. And there's a little bit of connection between the first story and the second one with the. Oh, really? Well, there's a severed hand in the first story. Oh yeah. That was, that was a, the second. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> lots of severed things. Um, so, around so in the first story, there's a severed hand uh, in her car, in the author's car. Uh, right? Am I correct? 
Yeah, she's looking for it. She can't she's, find it. <laughs> yeah, she's looking for her severed hand in her car now. Now this is the first 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 story in this book, and it's like it's got a severed hand and a and like a, a half dead dog, and I know that, that and that just sounds like so uh, great for a short story because sometimes short stories don't get to the point. But the thing what I like about Trouble with Language short stories throughout the whole thing, maybe a couple longer ones, mm-hmm. mostly short stories, uh, mostly packed with 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 a punch. Uh, so Timothy Severed Head goes on for a little while. It's like nine, ten parts, right? Yeah. Uh, what's going on with Timothy Severed Head? There's a lot of characters in it. Uh, what's up with that? Yeah. Um, so this story, I think, started with I had the first line in my head that just the whoever suffered most receives a severed head. And I think when I was started to write this story, um, I kind of didn't even realize that it would be a narrative with a through line for each section. So the story has I think 11 sections in it. And at first I just thought it was gonna be kind of like a series of maybe flash fiction or shorter things that weren't necessarily following characters all the way through. But then as I started writing, I realized that like, oh, this is a story about like this, these group of like young adults trying to figure out how to be people um, and it just kind of developed from there. You know, the premise is that they get Timothy, one of these four roommates gets a, a box with a severed head and it kind of um, almost like a good luck, like a twisted good luck charm finds its way into their lives and kind of gets them thinking about how to be better or try to be better human beings. And it was just really fun to kind of play out play around with these characters and like see what they meant to each other and um, what the head meant to them. <laughs> yeah. But Timothy's severed head is a pretty cool story. Um, has a bunch of different characters and you know, you shift forms, right? You're going from like uh, from uh, like a story to like a little bit of like prose to like, even to a place play aspect. So yeah. how'd, how'd that kind of come out like that? Well, I think, there's a couple kind of reasons why it came out like that. Um, I remember, so I wrote this story a couple years ago when I just started this teaching job that I have now. And I remember being like really frustrated because I, I was just working 24 seven trying to figure out how to be a teacher. I'd never done that before. Um, and we had winter break and I just like sat down and wrote this story in like the 11 days of winter break or whatever, whatever it was. Um, and one of, so I'm teaching creative writing and one of the genres that I'm teaching is drama and playwriting. Um, so I had all of a sudden been thinking a lot more about playwriting than I ever had before. I don't have very much experience writing that way. So I think part of it was just like being around it more um, and letting that inspire it. But um, for this specifically, so um, one of the characters is kind of like a wannabe or a failed playwright. And I see those sections as being almost his um, projection of the situation onto the page and it kind of kind of for me was doing an interesting thing um, you know like is this story a conception of the narrator's you know like imagination and their their art or is it more um, something that's happening in real life that he's kind of writing about and um, I just liked I don't know it just felt right to write it that way so I went with it and it was um, sometimes the form is like a vehicle to get the story out. And I felt like that was happening pretty fluidly when I was writing it. So it's just, I'm going to go with it. I'm going to put some, uh, some script writing in here. I'm going to put some lists in here and just like 
let that hopefully be fun for the reader. So I was, I wanted to kind of talk for a second of, I guess the writing, the, the process. Okay. You know, I've talked to some people and, you know, they write at a certain time. Um, they write through a writer's block. They don't write if they're writer's block. They never had writer's block. Um, for me, I use like a free prose kind of 25 minute kind of free write thing. You know, Tim Gager said, you know, just sit there until you have 500 words. So what's, what's kind of, um, what's kind of your process? So I'd say that I'm kind of all over the place. Um, and a lot of it depends on not, 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 not necessarily how much time I have, but how much like headspace I have um, so that I feel like I can get into at least if not a zone, like some kind of mental state where I feel like I'm actually like connecting with ideas or mm -hmm. images or whatever. Um, and that is rough for me. I was actually talking with Alvin Fisher, my the editor and the publisher the other day, and he was kind of talking about how for him, there needs to be some kind of mental continuity for a sustained amount of time in order to really get into a project. And I think for the most part, I work in a similar way. I have a hard time kind of just like turning it on and turning it off. Um, so if, if like my best case scenario would be to have like mornings, like a couple hours in the morning that I could just like chill and like get into it and not, not feel like I'm on, um, you know, like I have to be thinking about something else. Um, but I think some of these, the shorter stories in here came out because of like time crunches and, you know, I like getting to the endings of things and, and I wanted to sort of use my time like as best as I could. So I think that, that my, my form started to shift a little bit depending on how much time I have. That's really interesting because uh, I read this book called Make Time. It's a, it's a time management book. I just like, I like stuff like that. Um, I could use something like that. <laughs> <laughs> and it says from 60 minutes to 90 minutes, you're really in the zone from something. And then you can be easily broken out of it. Like, you know, mm -hmm. someone can easily distract you or whatever. But if you write before then, you're not really quite in the zone. If you write at 60 minutes, you or 60 to 90 minutes, you're pretty much, you, you, you pretty much got, you're pretty much in the rhythm of things. Yeah. So that's a pretty interesting concept. Um, that's writing. But the thing about reading is I read um, the Jim Quick book that I read, Limitless, tells me that you use the Pomodoro method. So I, I read this with the Pomodoro method, which means I read for 25 minutes, took a break for five minutes, thought about it, 25 minutes, five minutes, thought about it, 25 minutes, five minutes, thought about it. That's uh, that's one way of, uh, of getting through a book. So uh, listeners, if you're listening, you can always try the Pomodoro method uh, when you're trying to um, read a book. Uh, this one, this one's good though, because, and I'll tell you why, because it's, uh, right now I'm reading the, the Island by um, by Aldous Huxley. And I'm not saying it's it's not a bad book. It's a good book. I mean, I'm not about to try any mind altering substances right now. But if I was, you know, that book is kind of telling me all about it. But the cool thing about that book, or the cool bit thing about your book compared to I'm gonna I'm about to compare you to Aldous Huxley. So all right. <laughs> so <laughs> Aldous Huxley goes on for a little while to get to his point. He goes on for a little while. William Faulkner goes on for a little while to get to his point. Your, your points are made very quickly throughout these books. And, 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 and I like that a lot. So I like the fact that you, you use your language uh, with, with a direction, with, uh, with kind of purpose. Like each word is targeted and that's nice, you know? 
Um, if you were to look at my poetry, it's just kind of like word vomit. It's just out there. Um, and that's why they're a lot, lot longer. You know, that's why like Sistinas and sonnets and stuff, you know, those, those 10 syllable stuff. It's very, very formatted. But what I'm getting at is uh, it's, it's just the words are well chosen and well spoken. So that was, uh, we were talking about uh, Timothy's severed head. I want to go on to real quick visiting Sarah. Um, tell me, Rebecca, what's what's up with visiting Sarah? Yeah. So okay. So this story, um, like the premise is, a young woman is visiting her sister in Southern California. Her sister is a Marine, a U.S. Marine, and they, you know, they're kind of catching up. And it's a it's it's a pretty realistic story for most of it. They end up going to Tijuana and getting in some trouble. Um, so this story is, I'd say, one of the more um, autobiographical stories in the book. Um, there's, a few, there's a couple that are more inspired by my, my life. Um, and this is one of them. And, I'm, and it's definitely not like cut, cut and paste a chunk of my life and put it on the page. But there is a lot of stuff in here that is like, I do have a sister who was a Marine for a while. And I went to visit her and we went to California, or we went to Tijuana. Um, oh. so, so there are like little grains of truth. I wouldn't say that the storyline is necessarily, um, you know, coming out of my life. But um, sometimes I feel like there are moments or like experiences in our lives that are, they just feel supercharged for whatever reason. Um, and I think, I don't know, travel or like kind of one-off experiences, things that aren't unusual to your normal um, daily routine have that ability to kind of feel really charged with energy. And especially if there's conflict or even like some, some sort of tension between the people you're with. And this, this was just a moment where, I mean, I think I wrote the story years and years after, you know, I actually went and visited my sister in California, but, um, I guess for whatever reason, when I sat down to write, it was the right time to write about this. And like that always, that doesn't, I think it was probably the first time I tried to write about this experience too. And, you know, like some stories I have to write five, four or five times before I find the right way to write it. And so it's just like writing the same story different ways over and over again. But this one, I just kind of aligned with, I found the voice, I found the rhythm like pretty easy, easily. And it just, Kind of came out pretty pretty quickly see all these stories in the trouble with language they that some of them are some of them are magical mystical kind of f fantasy in a way but also kind of like i don't know just like letting the imagination just really go but here's kind of another fantastical story jailbreak so jailbreak happens jailbreak's a cool story very very uh very interesting um, concept. So can you tell a little bit about jailbreak? Yeah. Um, jailbreak's a cool concept. And, and if you're listening right now, um, and I hope you are check out the trouble with language, um, Rebecca Fishow's, uh, latest release. Um, it's a series of great stories. Um, and we have the author right now here talking with us right now. Uh, seriously, great book. Uh, check it out. So we were talking about jailbreak. Yeah. Um, so this story, I don't, this story is dark. It's one of the darker stories. I think it's a lot, it was a lot of fun to write despite that. Um, but the, the general concept is that there's a husband and a wife and they are in a prison 
and the prison guard is a young girl who's not doing too well and they kind of start figuring out how how to get themselves free from this prison and um I don't know if you felt this way when you're reading the book but I, I felt I feel like looking at a lot of these stories that they kind of exist on like an earth adjacent universe where we're you know it resembles what we know and it resembles planet earth pretty well but also not um and I think this story for me I was just kind of it kind of exists in its own little bubble that's like kind of like earth but not really and um so I kind of get it like this is a twilight zone kind of story I mean, yeah, I totally agree. And I think that when I was writing this story, I was really just thinking about the weird plot and how that might progress and what might, how the, you know, the stakes might, might get raised and kind of all that, you know, writerly stuff that we think about. But I think that on some level, there's also like um, some kind of underlying metaphor or something having to do with the, like, heavily related to the relationship between the husband and the wife and the idea of this child. And there's, you know, you know, we get, little yeah, it, it works on a couple of different levels where, um, you know, the child is literally keeping them hostage. Um, whether the want of having a child or having a child or whatever it is, it works on many different levels and it makes a lot of sense in the, in the story. And once again, it's only a couple pages. The cool thing is, Rebecca does this in like one to one and a half to two pages in a lot of these stories. And real quick, Brockville, 1972. Mm-hmm. Very interesting story. You got to talk about this one. What is going on in, the, in this in this story? Does the character have, I mean, does the character have, uh, you know, uh, something going on? Yeah. So Brockville, 1972 is for sure like the most voice-driven story and it's very voice-driven and I that's not something I normally excel at but um I was I had a specific person's voice in mind and um kind of exaggerated a, a bit just in terms of the language and um the the way that the character's thought process and and mind works a little bit um and I was just kind of working with that um this voice of someone that I'm familiar with that I'm kind of pretty, you know, fascinated with um, kind of determine what happened in this story. Uh, yeah. I, I don't talk about this story that much, but it's kind uh-huh. of, like us. yeah, not, not, I haven't as much as some of the other stories in the book, but um, it's definitely more about the character's way of thinking and way of moving through the world and then, than anything else, I think. And, and kind of, I think as I was writing it, uh, and even as I go back and read it, I, I kind of like see myself kind of bouncing this character's state of mind and perception of the world off of my own and trying to trying to understand them. But when you put out a, a book of, of, of writing, for me, as a writer, a lot of the writing, you know, a, a writer does is you have to be completely free. It's hard to not put all your guard down as a writer because honestly that's the way the best books are written and i I, that's why i feel like when someone is completely allows themselves to be themselves or a totally different character in a story is is really amazing and that's what i like about some of the some of the stories in the trouble with language is you're just really stretching your mind out to do a lot of different stuff and that's that's why I want to get into the next one that I'd like you to read if you're okay with it is The Tall Thin Man. 
Um, readers, this is an exclusive look at The Tall Thin Man by Rebecca Fischer. The Tall Thin Man. A tall thin man came to the city. He crossed the bridge in the middle of the darkest night of the year. The moon had eaten itself three days ago and the crumbs left over looked like weak stars. Sadness had set into the cracked brains of the people here, the way a building softens at the corners. I had packed my bags and was carrying my suitcase to the bus station, but the sight of the man halted me. I turned around, went home, wondered about the nature of hope. In the morning, the tall man went door to door, passing out gifts. He said, these gifts are your new moons. He gave an old woman a set of salt and pepper shakers shaped like clones. He gave a little boy a Native American headdress. He gave a pair of newlyweds a long rope ladder. He gave me a tall coat rack with brass hooks. To each person, he spoke the very same words. You are living in my dream. By noon, a crowd assembled around the fountain in front of City Hall. The tall, thin man stood in the center of the crowd as though he were a planet and the people were his moons. The people all held their gifts like weapons and the old woman threw her salt and pepper shakers at his head. The little boy held his headdress around the man's neck. The newlyweds whipped him with their rope ladder. I waited, clutching my coat rack for somebody to stop me. By the end of the day, the man had gone black and we all cried, our grief was so deep. Along the bottom of the fountain, tiny wildflowers grew. Some were purple, some were so yellow we mistook them for gold. I knew that I would miss them. I went home and found my suitcase still packed, still full of gifts I would one day give to other people in some city far away that I would never understand. That was just so, such a great story. Thank you. It, it reminds me of just so many different stories of, you know, a man comes to town, is trying to do a nice thing. He gives everybody a gift and then they all beat, beat him with his own gift, with their, with the own gifts that he gave him uh, in this story, uh, the tall, thin man. So I almost picture like, a, you know, would you say it's an older, like an older time um, I feel like he, I feel like he has a top hat. I don't know. I feel like he's a tall, thin, slender man with a top hat and a yeah, tie. He's a Jack skeleton or something. <laughs> um, yeah, know. exactly, exactly, exactly. Yeah, I, I agree that there's something kind of classic feeling about that description, even though it's just the tall, thin man. It kind of transports you to some some other kind of time period or something a little bit. You know what reminds me of black and white pencil drawn. Yeah. Um, you know, atmospheric, kind of like. atmospheric. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like that's a very cool concept. Um, you know, and then the tall, thin man, you don't know how tall he is. You don't know how thin he is. I feel like I just see like this, this character, almost like, a uh, this character that once, you know, it's very interesting. My, one of the, one of the poets who passed away, um, for oddball magazine, he was an, uh, he was a, a artist. And his name was um, James and James used to draw pictures. And there's one picture and I'll, maybe I'll show it during uh, my, my what's up with oddball. Uh, it's a picture of a man with a thin face and a top hat and he's a thin man. So it looks just like that. You'll see what I'm talking about. I'll put it on later. Uh, anyway, 
I'm curious, did you did did you like sympathize with the tall thin man by the end of this? Did you feel bad for him? Yeah, I felt bad for the tall thin man. I mean, yeah. did he do something that he deserved to be stoned to death, like the lottery and and, and Alice <laughs> Jackson? I mean, uh, it, it's did you sympathize with the stone man, the 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 tall thin man? I, I did to some extent, but I, well, I find that interesting because I don't think I do quite as much as you do. I think that part of part of my feeling towards him is that he just came in and started telling people how it is, you know, and like wasn't part of the community and kind of expected to get this response. And maybe he didn't get the response he thought he would. I don't know. I mean, I feel bad for him. No one deserves what he deserved for sure. But I think that he had some misunderstandings about the people that he was walking into their their town. I mean, he was stoned with a uh, with a a, uh, a salt shaker. Yeah, that's and true. Yeah, that's true. That's, yeah, that's a bad way to go. That's you know, true. Salt shaker. You're not wrong. Salt shaker. And then and then you hung him with a rope or a rope ladder where you were going to, and then you packed up and left. So very interesting. I I think it's I think it's one <laughs> of the great stories in that in that book. I love it. Um, and it really reminded me of a tall thin man with a hat walking into town here you go and i don't want this <laughs> beating them with it <laughs> oh, making a big spectacle about it beating them with it in like the center of the town mm-hmm. let's talk quicksand real quick it's an interesting concept mm-hmm. um very cool concept can you just kind of elaborate on that real quick yeah so so this is a pretty this is one of the stories that i think almost is more like prose poemy than flash fictiony in some ways like it uses a lot of repetition and some languagey stuff but the like the basic premise of this this story is that the narrator is in a world where things are all turning to quicksand and including her um and she's there's also some more heady, I guess, stuff going on here. Um, she's thinking about some some concepts. Of, she's, she's thinking a lot about the concept of forever and what that means, small versus large forevers. And maybe you can read the book if you want, if you want to know what that's about. But, um, yeah. And uh, she's just, you know, there's a husband character and he becomes a, a little involved based on his non-action, his inaction in the situation of the quicksand and yeah i think this is one of the stories that is maybe way more um cerebral in some ways because i think it's more cerebral that's a good word good word yeah i think it's more about a state of mind that the narrator is feeling um yeah yeah trying to get this is an interesting concept if you think about it you know you're 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 stuck in there as far as you as as hard as you get out you can't get you know quicksand sucking you sucking you down into the sand which is very interesting where the hell do you get quicksand these days when was the last time you've seen quicksand in general i don't think i've ever seen quicksand but you know it's in the at least when i was a kid i feel like that's a thing that people think about or like you know like don't step on that it's quicksand or (laughs) john mulaney he says you know I thought quicksand was gonna be a lot bigger problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I forgot about that. He goes, that, that it would be, you know. Uh, he, he goes, you gotta, you gotta worry about I ninety five. There's some quicksand. <laughs> That's so funny. Oh man, yeah, quicksand. Really, I mean, and, and falling safes. That's the other thing. You don't see those very often. I, I guess cartoons, right? Like anvils, dynamite. You know, like. <laughs> just like Wiley, I but why not use that stuff in stories like for adults? Why not? Like, I why don't not? Know. It can, I mean, 
what I love about this book is that it is, it's, uh, I mean, I, I, I'm going to say, uh, what's the word? I want to say cartoonish in, in the fact that not, not, I mean, that sounds like bad. I don't mean cartoonish in a bad way. I mean, like it's dropping anvils and in quicksand and all those kind of things. But what I'm getting at is it's just like, it's imaginative. And, and what I like about it is it's imaginative, personal, realistic, you know, all this stuff is kind of vaguely based in reality. A lot of it, most of, I mean, most of it is, I mean, a lot of it's based in reality, you know, like the, the, going back to the severed head, you know, you haven't, you you know, you're kicking around a severed head really, you know, uh, jailbreak is just an interesting concept. Brockville, 1972, this book really, uh, listeners, if you're out there, listening you got to check out rebecca fishel's the trouble with language i'm telling you it's a great book um she's nice enough and kind enough to come on the show and talk about it and, and um real quick um not only is uh, rebecca fishel the author of the trouble with language she's also the winner of the holland prize for fiction what, what is that what is the holland prize for fiction well that was the that was the um prize that transfer was doing in order to publish it was a book publishing prize so so transfer oh. you know i submitted this manuscript to the holland prize for fiction and it won and so it's a book now <laughs> oh yeah that that's cool i didn't know yeah. that that's awesome yeah um, some of the small presses kind of do that which is really nice you know it gives it's another way to it's another inroad or can potentially be another inroad to publishing other than like the you know the more mainstream like get an agent and around and all that kind of stuff so yep 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 um all right so let's go into we're gonna go talk one more and we've talked a lot about this book um let's talk about cyclops um and then we'll go into break and then uh maybe we'll do another reading of another of another one and and then see where else this goes so um how about uh cyclops very cool concept uh brutal bashing the person's face in at the end of it yeah, it's another brutal one i think actually so this like when i was um ordering these stories and putting the parts i think jailbreak and the story i just read and cyclops they're all in the second section and that's what I, that's my angry section that's what i call the angry section oh okay so there's a first section a second section a third section second section is your angry section at least i i think so yeah i associate that section as like the one that has more anger coming out because i yeah um and cyclops has that too <laughs> for sure <laughs> definitely, definitely. incredible yeah. incredible story yeah um, are, are you super super proud of uh, the trouble with language proud of this book yeah I mean I so these stories were written over like 10 or 11 years and um I feel yeah like I am proud of this book I think that it it's the best I could have done so that that makes me feel good you know it's a very very good book what was the first uh story you wrote that was uh in this book I think the first story I wrote in this book was on exercise and etiquette. Oh, which we were going to talk about that. That was that was actually one we were going. I was going to talk yeah. about. Uh, shocking conclusion for sure. Uh, incredibly well-told story. Um, that was your first story. The exercise and etiquette. That's the first one that I wrote. That's in this book. Yeah, and I think that so some of the longer ones that are more realistic. Those are actually the earlier ones for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So that one and um, something to do, someone to love, visiting Sarah. Yep. Like those stories, 
were from like the earlier part of my right like the earlier um yeah yeah you know, when I was just kind of getting my feet wet and getting getting my bearings as a writer yeah nice nice um okay so let's talk about the title of the book the trouble with language it's only like a page and a half long story and it's on the third part of the third part of the book mm-hmm. why is it considered your uh title of the of the book so that that just that phrase the trouble with language seemed to me to be really um pertinent to various stories in this book there's a lot of characters who um you know have thoughts that they're not saying, or they say something that that's not actually what they're thinking, or they just have trouble communicating in one way or the other with other characters, or you know their their um, mental headspace doesn't quite line up with me in a nutshell. I mean, it's most people in a nutshell, I think. Yeah. You know, yeah. um, so it just felt like a fitting title. Um, and this story, you know, kind of takes it on, I guess, in a little bit more of a direct way. Like there's a line about the trouble with language in the story, the trouble with language. But I, I did feel like it was either that for the title of the book or something to do someone to love. And I think that the trouble with language just sort of captured more of the book. You, you really nailed it. You just you just tapped onto my psyche. <laughs> the, 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 the person who just doesn't know how to talk, right? And doesn't fit in. That's, that's, that's me. That's, that's, that's basically. No, I think that I wouldn't not be surprised if most people felt that way. I mean, I definitely feel that way. <laughs> yeah. So. yeah. Now that I think about it, you know, the trouble with language, you know, is a really great title for this series of books of series of stories. Um, a lot of people, or a lot of rave reviews from George Sanders, uh, Rivka Galchin, Caitlin Horrocks, uh, Lindsay Hunter, Emily Schultz, Stacey Levine, Ryan Ridge, and Amanda Marbays, uh, all, all wrote something on, on this book. So the book doesn't suck. That, that's, that's, that's what I would say. I mean, I, I mean, that's not my quote, but I'm saying you don't get like 20 people to write that this is a good book if it's not a good book. So everybody, please check out The Troubled Language. Um, and I think, uh, this is a good, uh, two minutes to say, uh, what's going on with oddball and I'll take a sip of my, my green drink here, which is fueling the fire and, um, more water. I'll be right back. Let's talk about what's going on with oddball magazine. The secrets of skinny people is awesome. Uh, you know, it was an awesome column, uh, this week. Um, it's January 17th, 2021, and we're about to have an inauguration. Um, a new president's coming in, new new president, uh, old president's going to Mar a Largo, and uh, very happy about that. But um, we're also scared. Um, Jeffrey Fallon kind of nailed it when he wrote, you know, excited, and um, you know they're looking at the Washington Monument, you know him and uh, you know these two characters, and she's saying, no, I'm terrified. It, it really just sums up exactly, I think, how a lot of people are feeling. Um, they don't want to they want to see a successful inauguration and we and, and no violence so you know that's that's why it's 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 kind of scary we don't know what's going to happen everything's up in the air you know it's a, it's an interesting time for this country so uh we are excited we are terrified so you really just nailed it today um with that so check out the secrets of skinny people that was this monday then we had josh corwin he came through with um a poem that he had been working on for like four years called 
something called Baraka. And it's uh, uh, Pomi's been writing for four years. If you haven't checked out Joshua Corner, he's a great poet. You know, he's going to be premiering tomorrow. Well, he's not premiering, but he's going to be his normal Tuesday column. So along with me and uh, my jagged thought. So you had Friday Wise Words with Bruce Bruce Wise. If you haven't checked out Bruce's column, it's an amazing column. Um, he basically breaks down the news in poetry form. Then you have Bamboozled No More with Janet Cormier, uh, Liza Zayas in the Underground Garden, James Van Loy. Last Wednesday, there was a poem by Amrita Vallon and a poem by Robert Gibbons. There was also the incentivized My Jagged Thought gunshots and ice cream cones. The foundation, the Oddball Foundation, is now a 501c3 certified tax exempt nonprofit. That means we can officially collect donations, we can officially do our charitable things that we want to do and and help out the mental health community and the artistic community. And we're really happy for 2021. Uh, we submitted a few grants. We're looking for um, some collaborators to collaborate on some events. And we'd like to do a 5K for suicide awareness for the, the memory of my nephew. And yeah, just uh, hoping to do some workshops with some, some of the local hospitals in, in Boston and uh, really poised for a good year. So. If you want to check out the Oddball Foundation, you can go to www.oddballmagazine/oddballfoundation. And we're back with Rebecca Fishow. Rebecca, how's it going? Going well. Got good. Good. Water. My cat's sleeping next to me. Ready for the second segment? Here we go. I don't know if you realize this, but this is season six. This is our our home opener. Six seasons. That's a, that's huge. Yeah, no, it's great. It's, it's great. It's been a, a good run. And, uh, you know, I wanted to have you on the show because I thought it'd be an interesting concept because I haven't actually really asked you much about yourself. Um, I, I really wanted to break into this book because I think the book's fantastic. But t- tell me a little about yourself. What, what are you what are you doing? Or what are some of the things that you like? What are the things that you enjoy? I am here in Frederick, Maryland. So that's where I am in the world. And I'm, I teach uh, creative writing to high schoolers as my day job, nice. uh, which is pretty fun. Um, in terms of what I like to do, I like to read. I read all the time and I like to go hiking a lot, especially now <laughs> when there's not much else to do. What are you reading do. right now these days? What, what are you reading these days? Um, so I just started a, or I'm actually, I'm finishing this book, Luster, which is pretty awesome. It's a new release by um, Raven uh, Liani, who I don't know much about. She's a, kind of a young writer. It's a really great book. Um, and I'm excited to get into Michael Bible's new book, Ancient Hours, next. Um, I really nice. love slim novels. And he's like, puts out these amazing slim novels. So excited. I will write those. I'm, as I said, I'm reading uh, Huxley's Island right now and 250. 250 questions to starting a nonprofit, which is a lot of car explosions and, uh, you know, quicksand, dynamite, all that. (laughs) So something about Syracuse, were you, uh, uh, did you go to school in Syracuse or something? Yeah, I did my MFA at Syracuse. Um, That was amazing. I graduated from that in 2012. Loved it. Nice. I don't know much about Maryland. I know my friend uh, uh, Melissa lives there, and I know that the County Crows are from there. That's 
that's all I pretty much know. I did not know they were from here. Yeah, yeah. He, I, I'm pretty sure he is. He, he sings about uh, raining, in, you know, Baltimore, raining in Baltimore, I believe is one of his songs. Uh, uh, he always talks about Chesapeake Bay. I don't know. That's in Maryland, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess I should go back and listen to the Counting Crows again because everything <laughs> you? Yeah. fabulous and fantastic. Yeah. I'm in a while. And so I moved here about five, uh, four and a half years ago for this okay. job. I kind of, I'm from New Hampshire originally, lived in Montreal for a while, ended up here for this job. And nice. yeah, Maryland's an interesting place. It's like the most Southern place I've ever lived. Um, like it feels su Southern to me and I'm sure people in like really down South wouldn't yeah, yeah, <laughs> but um, yeah, I've always wanted to check out Maryland. I, 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 um, I've never, I've never been. Actually, wait, wait, hold on. I might have been to Maryland. Annapolis? No, wait. Yeah, that's. No, right. I did something. I did something for this is my brave in the Maryland D.C. area. Shout out to to Jen Marshall and this is my brave. It's a great organization. Check it out. Doing really great things um, for the mental health community. We did what's going on with Oddball. We did the trouble with language. We talked about quicksand. Let's do one more reading, shall we? Yeah. Let's do, uh, can we do a reading of uh, Rapid Shrinking? Yes. Awesome. Rapid Shrinking. A group of elderly people sat around a table in a chain coffee shop. They didn't mind just sitting and talking. They probably came there every day. They did not want to speak overtly about their own trailing bodies but one old woman told the others about someone who was hit by a subway train and lost both legs. The story of the legless woman made the news. The elderly lady was talking and wondering how it all had happened. Did the woman jump or did she fall? Was she pushed? One elderly man said, it's okay, they make good prosthetics these days. Another said, I would rather be dead than have no legs. What's saddest of all, said the elderly woman, is this is the last we will hear about her in the news. The reporters will have all moved on. I had been experiencing rapid shrinking all week. I was shrinking from the inside out, bones, muscles, nerves, then organs. My inside shrank first and then my skin imploded around a tiny version of myself. For a minute or two before my hair shrunk down, I felt almost like air. I was embarrassed about the whole occurrence, so I temporarily moved out of the house. I told my husband I needed to buy some milk, checked into a cheap hotel. I did not answer my phone when my husband called. I would make up some excuse when I returned home. I was kidnapped, I was lost, I was flying. In the hotel room, I started making white paper cranes to keep my mind off the shrinking. I sat cross-legged on the bed, worked until the paper cranes the size of flies covered the comforter, then the floor, then the television and set of matching chairs. It was nice to increase the volume of something for once, for once, for once. A fire alarm went off, but I thought I must be dreaming. Those cranes on the radiator are not ablaze. I was never any larger than I am. I just noticed something. I don't know. The paper cranes. They're throughout the book. Oh, I mean, they're on this. The they're, they're on the cover. Yeah. That, so those are the cranes from that story on the cover swarming around like flies. Who, who did the uh, cover art for this? this is Alvin, Alvin Fisher did the cover art. He's he's the, the publisher and editor. And he's also he's an absolutely amazing designer. And he designs for oh. other small presses as well. Um, yeah, he's just a brilliant designer. 
um, and very attractive design here. Just very, very, very cool. So we, we, you know, we, we were running down to the end of the hour, you know, and as things tend to uh, shrink as the hour goes, as I say, um, let's talk about the, one of the last things uh, in the, in the story, uh, Ipsity Epistolary. What does that mean? Should I know what that means? So epistolary means um, letters. Like okay. so if you were to have like an epistolary novel, that would be like a novel made of letters or some kind of form like that. Like I think- um, well, Like Frank a Chuck Palahniuk novel. Like a yeah, Chuck probably has some, like I think Frankenstein is a story where it's a letter tell, n- telling the story about the monster, if I'm well, remembering there's correctly. Two, there's two diary entries in, um, I mean, there's two, two Chuck Palahniuk books, uh, uh, one called Doomed and one called uh, Damned. And they're all, they're all letters. So. Yeah, so that's epistolary. It's like a very classical form. A lot of books, you know, I think like, I think about like probably the 1800s. <laughs> there was a lot of people doing that form and it's kind of making it come back a little bit, I think. It's just a fun form to play with. Um, yeah, and and are these letters to your your yourself or to to the protagonist yeah. R? So obsidity, so I'm pretty sure means self. <laughs> it's just a fancy word for. Oh, uh, self letters. Oh, okay. yeah. Um, and basically, they're not. It's not actually me, but it's like kind of. I was just being kind of playful there and a little bit self-referential. I think so. Each, each letter starts in it. There's like four letters in this story and each one starts with dear R and ends with love R. So it's like a very strange <laughs> kind of concept there, but. It's like you're right. The, the protagonist is writing to themselves. The, 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 you know, and then the protagonist is then rewriting to themselves. It's very cool. Very cool concept. It's very interesting when you have to say the protagonist, like, like the subject or whatever, like, yeah. like when I'm writing a poem, most likely it's, it's not always about me. Usually it's somewhat autobiographical in some sort of yeah, way. Yeah, I think about that a lot, how in, po- in poetry, you always say like the speaker, right? Or something, it's, it's not the author or the character necessarily, but like prose, for some reason, there's a distinction, right? There's like fiction and nonfiction. And I think that's, a, I don't know. I kind of, I'm not sure how useful that has to be <laughs> as a distinction. <laughs> um, what are the rules and are there rules in, in writing short stories? Because it seems like if there are rules, you're, you're, are you breaking them by in this book or are they or are there no yeah, rules? Yeah. I think so. I think that there are like traditional rules. And um, I also feel as though there's a lot more space in the literary landscape now for breaking those rules and for, you know, hybridity. Like you, you hear that term a lot now, like hybrid texts and people kind of mixing blending genres and stuff and I definitely think this book is doing that to some extent um maybe not even as much as some other authors have been mm-hmm. doing it but I, I I feel like this is a blend in some ways um of things it's, you know it's, it's just a fantastic collection it really is I know some people who want to write never written before you know what is some advice you would give them just in general for someone who's never written before who's never written before. I mean, I, th- I think like the first thing is just start, you know, just like put a pen on a pad of paper and see what comes out. Um, but also I think that like writing prompts can be pretty useful to writers who are just starting out. 
um, just to give you like a little inroad. Um, there's one called um, 3 a.m. Epiphany, and it's just it doesn't it doesn't have like your boring um, writing prompts like write a story about I don't know write a story about a murderer who comes in the house. It's more like <laughs> more thoughtful about craft. Um, yeah. And so those are really useful. But I, I mean, I think that if someone wants like the best advice that anyone can really give, I guess, in terms of just starting wanting to write is just start writing a, as much as you can and read as much as you can. <laughs> yeah, I think reading uh, as much as you can is, is such good advice. And I'll tell you why. If you read enough of one writer, so I was reading Stephen King just for a little bit. I haven't read that much of them. Mm-hmm. I was reading a little bit of Stephen King and all of a sudden it was around Halloween. So I was like, you know, reading a little bit of Stephen King. And then I busted out this uh, couple of really macabre stories. One was called the zombie that ate my brains uh, or, or the zombie that was gnawing on my brains or something like that. And then there was another one, like a very dark, every all around, uh, I, I don't know. You can, you can imitate after reading the same type of author. I mean, yeah. if you were to read a lot of Charles Bukowski, eventually you're going to start writing about gambling and, uh, and uh, drinking and punching people. Well, and I think imitating is like a good thing to do when you're, when you're a young, like when you're a young writer, when you're just starting out writing, like that's how you kind of find your own style, right? Like you read a lot and then whatever you're reading, if you're reading like diversely, all of that, those different kind of styles and voices are going to be in your head at some point. And eventually your own kind of style is going to sort it, sort itself out a little bit. What I like hope that's the goal. That's a hope at least. (laughs) You know, you know, what's, what's, what's cool about, uh, about Bukowski is that he he had I mean so every writer has a writer that they look up to right you know and and I think uh, you know it was uh, I think it was Rimbaud that that Bukowski looked up to you know um, unless I'm full of shit I might be full of shit Rebecca I might be full of shit but um, Bukowski looked up to to a writer mm-hmm. um, you know I look up to like a Leonard Cohen type or a Henry Rollins writer. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, uh, you know, there's a great Simpsons episode. You know, we're going to close this off, you know. There's a great Simpsons episode where Homer becomes an inventor, okay? And and he wants to be an inventor. So he invents all this crazy stuff that that doesn't mean anything. Like, you know, like a, a, a shotgun that puts makeup on. Like, and he, you know, whatever. And, but he, one thing he invents is a, uh, he while he's trying to invent a bunch of stuff, he actually invents a chair that when you when you lean back, you don't fall over. So what I'm getting, there's a point of this. So he, he invents it, right? But after, but he's trying to, he's trying to emulate Thomas, uh, Thomas, Thomas Edison. He finds out that Thomas Edison actually emulated Leonardo da Vinci. So what I'm getting at is every writer has some kind of, every writer has someone that they look up to that, you know, if, yeah. if it was Rimbaud, who lo- if Bukowski looked up to Rimbaud, then Rimbaud looked up to someone else. Um, so, you know, my advice for a writer, you know, is is find the find the writers that speak to you, and that's probably why I had you on the show, because um, I loved your book so much that I wanted to have you on the podcast. Um, yeah, because I, I I appreciated what you did here with this book, The Trouble. I'm, I'm really so glad that you you enjoyed it, and oh, I'm, it glad that, um, <laughs> I'm glad that there are people who understand it and who are getting something from it, and um that makes me happy yeah definitely um so 
I'm gonna add, I'm gonna close off real quick. But who who do you look up to for art uh, for for writers for authors? Yeah. Would you recommend someone to to read that would want to get into short stories or prose? I mean, that's, or... that's a t- it's a tough question for me to to answer who I look up to because there are so so many like so many authors that I look up to and yeah. feel like just more and more every day um, or every time I read something new. But um, I think that like when it comes to maybe the short fiction authors who I felt very inspired by when I was young or when I was just starting off, I think that um, Mary Gateskill and Dennis Johnson were two sort of big ones, especially Dennis Johnson's Jesus Son. If you haven't read it, it's freaking amazing. Um, and then I think some, some, you know, like, I think that I've always really been drawn to the kind of stream of consciousness type of stuff that Virginia Woolf does and just how freaking smart she is. Um, but also I, I think when I was younger, I got, I really got turned on by like some of these more weirder writers that are kind of letting themselves get a little fabulous and strange in their work, like Murakami and Edgar Caret, um, Amy Bender, Kelly Link, like that kind of stuff too, kind of spoke to me when I was younger. So I think that you can kind of see a little of that influence in what I'm doing. Nice, nice. Uh, Murakami, I've actually wanted to read Murakami for a while, so. He's um, great. Yeah, I would, I mean, he is, he's a, primarily a novelist, I guess. It's amazing how prolific he is, but he has a really awesome, book of short stories called The Elephant Vanishes. It's one of his earlier books of short stories. I definitely recommend it. So um, Rebecca, thanks for being on the show. Um, Seriously, um, fantastic book. You know, you've been lucky to have a a complete read and a little bit of what's in every one of these, not every one of them. There's like 20 20 stories in this book. I think there's 30. 30, (laughs) we only went over like five or five. I don't know, I'm also, not very good at math but um i think we did at least 10 stories yeah but there's 20 other stories that you can that you can sink your teeth into super good book so i'm going to close off now with a bunch of crap that i wrote while i was waiting for the um for the podcast i um so three free proses um that none of them are complete yet but um rebecca thank you for being on the show um where can we find you if we want to follow you yeah. Um, thank you so much for having me. This has been so much fun. Um, <laughs> I have a website. It's just RebeccaFishow.Weebly.com. And then I, I'm on Instagram at RebeccaFishow. All right. Trouble with language. Transferbooks.com. Transfer with no vowels. In the oh, word. yeah, yeah. Transfer with no vowels. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, <laughs> T-R-N-S-F-R books. Who needs vowels? Who needs vowels? <laughs> That should be the title of this. Anyway, um, it's been a pleasure to have you on the show and I'm going to close off with a couple of free proses and, um, you know, whatever happens, uh, America in the next couple of days, we're going to have a new president. Uh, let's, 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 uh, you know, there's, you know, there's 2 million people who have passed away from COVID. It's a new year. It's 2021. Let's kick 2020 to the curb. Let's have a better 2021, uh, new president. Um, New year, new you. All right. <laughs> so uh, here's a couple of free proses and then um, and then uh, we'll close out. So here we go. Free pros. 
The balcony I sit in is perfect for viewing. The green drink changed the coffee I was brewing. I don't know if this poetry is poetry or a linguist chance at something else to put the quest on the shelf and get on with this game of chess, if only by myself. It's a fantastic display, a show off, a send off. Maro Largo in the sky, rockets about to go off, and I sit in the balcony watching golf. Versus. Well, it's a circus. You guessed it. The Pope came and blessed it, left it after breakfast. When I get vexed, he said, I throw my shoe at it. Versus what I said? Versus nothing. He paid his tip, got up and left. Called it the grand exit, I guess. Free prose before the oddball show with Rebecca Fischow. Well, here it is, a catalytic, catalytic misfit, rhyming lunatic. This is showbiz. As quick as they laugh, the clowns climb onto the stage. Exit stage left, left to right. I read each page. And then Rebecca came on the show. And then uh, that's that's kind of when I stopped typing. And I said, you know, uh, I uh, welcomed Rebecca to the show. And that has been the Oddball Show. Um, everybody check out Rebecca Fischow's The Trouble with Language. We'll be back in two weeks with another guest. And uh, be good. Uh, new year, new you. Uh, yada, yada, yada. I had the lobster bisque. Have a good one. Bye. That's a Seinfeld reference. Seinfeld.